Mr. and Ms. America. This is Dr. S. The Legend. I want to continue talking about pandemics. I always got interested in pandemics because of my grandparents. They lived in Philadelphia at the time of the Spanish flu, which came in basically the fall of 1918. And they told me all sorts of horror stories of what went on. Got kind of interested in the subject. I've always been kind of interested in pandemics. Just to reiterate, pandemics are not the exception. They tend to be the rule. Let's keep things in perspective. We'll, we'll talk about COVID in another time. Uh, but comparing COVID, say, to bubonic plague, to smallpox, to influenza, to Spanish flu, COVID's minor league. People don't want to hear this. Uh, the media and the medical cartel only want to tell everyone that uh, we're all going to die. And that's just not the case. So we have to keep a perspective as to what's happened in the past. We can't measure COVID unless we compare it to things that have occurred before. In eight weeks, Spanish flu or influenza and complications killed, oh, killed about uh, 730,000 Americans. It's believed that um, anywhere from 30 to 100 million people in the world died from the Spanish flu starting in 1918 and going into 1919. Uh, there were really three uh, episodes of the Spanish flu. The first was kind of mild. The second one was the dramatic one that killed a lot of people. And then there was a third round, which was uh, not as bad uh, as the uh, second round. The weird thing about the Spanish flu was, and scientists are not sure exactly why this happened, that uh, the most vulnerable were individuals between the ages of 20 and 40, which you would think they would have the most robust immune system. The elderly and the young were hardly affected by the Spanish flu. If we look at COVID, for example, we can see that the most vulnerable are, are elderly and those with uh, a compromised immune systems. But the fact is that uh, over 80% of our fatalities, both in the United States and in other countries, have been people over 65, and the median age is uh, 79 in the United States, where uh, the average life expectancy is only 78. So everyone is not equally vulnerable to COVID, whereas for unknown reasons, and there's various theories why it struck those between 20 and 40, and it was especially gruesome with uh, pregnant women dying at uh, very high rates. We're still not sure today where the uh, Spanish flu originated, and we'll get to the uh, origin of the name Spanish flu. It didn't uh, originate in Spain, for that matter. Uh, we've had other influences. In the 19th century, there's a Russian flu, Spanish flu, Asian flu, Hong Kong flu, swine flu, avian flu. Now we got COVID. In any case, it's believed, one valid theory is believed that it originated in Kansas, of all places, in, in approximately January, February 1918. Believed that an individual, a... Uh, hog or pig farmer had an influenza. He was sick, and it's believed that he, in conjunction with uh, some of his sick pigs or swine, picked up another influenza, and somehow they combined as the human influenza and the swine influenza and mutated and created a virus that uh, had never been seen before. Influenza is either of the swine variety from pigs or avian from birds. It passes from animal to human. This mutation, many of these mutations don't survive. Since uh, 1500, believe it or not, there's been about a dozen influenza pandemics. 
The problem with influenza or flu is that it mutates rapidly. And even though one year's vaccine it can be reasonably successful, uh, there's no guarantee it's going to be successful in the next year. So that's why every year we have to promote a different flu vaccine. It's my understanding that all the various flus that we get and mutations we get all have their origins from the Spanish flu. In any case, it takes a while for a virus to develop, to mutate, and to make human beings sick. It's believed that the pig farmer was supplying pigs to a military camp called Camp Funston in Kansas, and it's believed somehow that he spread the disease amongst the soldiers. In March of 1918, about a 1,000 soldiers were hospitalized, about another 10,000 fell ill, a very few died, and the disease disappeared. You have to remember, during this period of time, uh, the United States has, was at war. This was World War One, and troops were being moved across the United States to Europe, within Europe itself. Um, millions of troops were moving about. They were fighting in unsanitary conditions, which was a good reason for the uh, contagion of, of the Spanish flu. Also, the fact that many doctors and nurses that were, would be normally available to treat the sick were sent to Europe and they were no longer available. Something like 50% went to Europe. The reason probably we get the, the name Spanish influenza is most countries had censorship during this time. Spain was not at war, so press reports were released from Spain Spain had millions of cases of the of influenza, so the name stuck because that was the only place that things were be, being reported in the United States. In the summer, there were outbreaks in England and in Russia and in Persia. Symptoms were unusual. Blood clots, severe headache occurred, pain in the joints, coughing, continuous coughing, delirium, cyanosis people turning blue, bleeding from the mouth and the nose and the eye sockets. People started associating this with stories that they heard about the bubonic plague and the Black Death. They thought they were being visited again by the plague. In August, the uh, troops stationed in Boston and Cape Nevins, about 15,000 of them fell ill and about 1,000 of them died. When autopsies were performed by physicians. They were appalled as to what they saw. The lung tissue was very much compromised. As in the bubonic plague, spread of the Spanish flu occurred along trade routes. It wasn't too long for a ship from Boston to reach Philadelphia. I want to focus the rest of the time with an analysis of the uh, Spanish flu in Philadelphia, primarily because of the experience of my grandparents having lived here and telling me stories. Things were pretty bad in Philadelphia, worse than many other cities in the United States uh, regarding the Spanish flu. At the time, uh, the population of the city was one and three quarters million people. It was very crowded. There were tenements. Basically, the residential area today in Philadelphia at, at that time in 1918 was about 50% of what it is today. So you had a lot of tenements and overcrowded housing and uh, Philadelphia was noted for having uh, uh, honest government. Progressivism hadn't reached Philadelphia. Philadelphia was controlled by a Republican political machine headed up by State Senator Edwin 
H. Vare and his brother, William Vare. They, uh, there weren't many public services. Most of the things were private, controlled by the Vares, and uh, their base of operation was South Philadelphia. In any case, their uh, number one political appointment was the mayor, Thomas B. Smith. He was uh, unable to do anything about the Spanish flu because he was under indictment uh, for manslaughter, and really he had no part to play in what transpired in Philadelphia during this period of time. Philadelphia did have a health commissioner, Dr. William Cruzen. He was a political appointee of the Vare brothers. He was a decent guy. The problem is he didn't know anything about public health. He was a gynecologist. He was also a trustee at Temple University at the time. To make a long story short, once the uh, ship docked from Boston, where there was a, had been a major outbreak in Philadelphia, the uh, nearest area with, with a lot of people was the Naval Base and the Naval Hospital, which was located in South Philadelphia. And uh, by September 16th, 600 sailors and Marines fell ill. And many of them were taken to Pennsylvania Hospital and to the Naval Hospital. People started dying. They even developed, tried to develop some sort of vaccine. Uh, but this was a virus. And you have to understand, uh, at this point in time, uh, they uh, thought that most diseases were caused by bacteria. Any kind of vaccine would have been ineffective. It just wouldn't have worked. Dr. Krusen wanted to take a look-and-see attitude towards uh, whether or not... Uh, uh, the disease should be taken seriously. The next day uh, would be September 18th. 14 sailors died. Also, uh, civilians started dying. The virus was seeding through the city. The big problem was that on September 28th, this is 1918, there was supposed to be a Liberty Loan parade designed to sell hundreds of millions of dollars in war bonds. This is how the government raised money during World War One and World War Two, having what were called uh, parades or what have you for war bonds to finance the war. So make a long story short, Dr. Krusen had to make a decision whether or not to have the parade continue on the date of September 28th. By September 26th, in hindsight, he should have canceled the parade because many uh, cases and many deaths starting to be reported from the Naval Yard, the Naval Hospital, and the Pennsylvania Hospital. Plus, the word had spread that there were deaths in other cities, and, and by this time, by the end of September, the Spanish flu had been reported in all cities across the United States, and it got uh, so bad that the military draft was canceled for uh, World War One temporarily. Dr. Krusen decided mistakenly to hold the parade, thinking that it would be outside and that people wouldn't get sick. The mayor had no say in it because he was under arrest uh, for manslaughter. On September 27th, only 71 new cases of influenza reported in the city. So to make a long story short, about a quarter of a million people uh, either marched down Broad Street or watched the parade, and uh, Dr. Krusen assured everyone that there was no danger. The incubation period at this time for the Spanish flu was anywhere from 24 uh, to 72 hours. Two days, approximately two days later, hundreds of cases and thousands of cases were reported in the city. Ultimately, it's believed upwards of uh, a quarter of a million people got the Spanish flu. I did talk to my grandparents about it. They uh, actually don't think that they got the Spanish flu. 
uh, but their memory was a little hazy on this. Obviously, they weren't that sick, and obviously they didn't pass away, but they knew things were very bad. The flu spread very quickly. A person could go outside and walk around and do things normally, and then with a few days, contract the disease and die from the disease itself or from complications of influenza. The disease was different in the, in the sense that when lung tissue was analyzed, all aspects of the lung were infected, including the deep tissues of the lungs. And uh, without be- breathing properly, people are going to die. So generally, you either die directly from the influenza or you die from the complications, which was pneumonia. Normally, the city of Philadelphia averaged 500 deaths a week. The, the number of cases exceeded this 500 a week situation. And people were, were helpless. Doctors got sick. Nurses got sick. Those that were, those women that were pregnant, high incidence of either dying, getting disease, dying, or miscarrying. Undertakers got sick. Grave diggers refused to bury the influenza victims. My grandmother kept telling me stories uh, looking outside when the city finally went into quarantine at the end of September uh, that people simply put the bodies out on the sidewalk and they just stayed there like, like trash until eventually someone came and collected them. It was, it was rather gruesome. I had a relative tell me a story that she knew. Uh, a friend of hers, father was an undertaker, and that, that his facility uh, ran out of places to keep the dead. The undertaker had to bring all the bodies uh, into the house. This person said she was affected mentally a, a very long period of time after influenza had passed because every time she came home, she had to... Uh, walk around all kinds of dead bodies in her house because her father was an undertaker and ran out of uh, places to uh, put the body. The morgue uh, had only so much room for bodies, uh, ran out of space. Uh, People just uh, uh, drove by the morgue and dumped bodies at the morgue, and it became a horrible sight at the morgue. The other problem was a lack of people to collect the bodies, a lack of coffins. Eventually, the archbishop of the Catholic Church uh, got priests and uh, others uh, to uh, come with carts drawn by horses and to remove the bodies from the street. So um, fear had come to the cities, and really there was no solution. Some even suggested venusection, an ancient practice of bleeding, uh, but this was kind of disputed. By October 3rd, Cruson finally uh, decided to take some action and he closed down everything in the city. Back then, we, they called it a quarantine, except the saloons, which at that time were called tap rooms because they were controlled by the very political machine. But eventually, uh, they were closed down too. The other problem was that government essentially stopped functioning. Charities, based upon religious faiths at that time, Catholic charities, Jewish and Protestant, usually wealthier people headed these. Uh, private individuals essentially took control, primarily women, uh, where it was the government was just, they didn't know what to do. Uh, as the days progressed, uh, more and more people died. On October 5th, uh, 254 people died. Uh, then the next day, 289 people. Then the next day, 300 people. Whereupon Dr. Cruz had announced that we've reached the peak. Then the next day, 428 people died. And again, he kept saying, oh, the end is at hand. This was not the case. By this point in time, Dr. Cruson sort of became absent from uh, any decision 
being made, and the private charities took over, and they started recruiting doctors from other parts of the state, other individuals to uh, bury the dead in mass graves. They offered individuals uh, $10 a day for anyone who would bury the dead. The Catholic Church uh, dismissed all the seminary students uh, who volunteered to do grave digging. Also, the Catholic Church dismissed uh, all the nuns, even those that were uh, uh, under vows of silence to go out into the various hospitals, regardless of whether or not they were even a Catholic hospital, they're going to the Protestant-controlled and the Jewish hospitals. You understand, in Philadelphia at this time, every hospital was under the auspices of one faith or another. It wasn't, it had to be of that faith to be a patient in that hospital, but they tended to fund and dominate that particular hospital. People started volunteering, making their automobiles available, ambulances and chauffeuring doctors around, and, and people got together and knew that there was a crisis. I'm always impressed, particularly about the, the people in, uh, in Britain and the United Kingdom. It seems like every time, historically, they've had crises, regardless of political persuasion, etc. the people came together. Probably the last, I saw this after 9-11 in the United States, certainly during World War II, uh, everybody came together and uh, for common purpose. It'd be nice to see some of that today, unfortunately. Uh, there's too much polarization. Also, the streets started to be cleaned because there really was no process by the government at that time to make things sanitary. Philadelphia was known as like one of the dirtiest cities uh, in the United States and the most corrupt. The newspapers and others were holding the Bear Brothers responsible for the epidemic or the pandemic that, that was occurring in Philadelphia. And now for a quick word from our sponsor, Classic Coco. Shop sustainably with Classic Coco, authentic Chanel vintage accessories. All of their products are guaranteed authentic or your money back. Give a loved one the joy of vintage with Classic Coco. Use code THELEGEND for 10% off at ClassicCoco.com. Now, back to the show. Now by October 16th, 711 people were reported to have died. This was the peak of the pandemic in Philadelphia. Less and less people uh, died each day, and suddenly it started to disappear. Uh, it didn't completely disappear. There was a third round, but it was fairly mild. The city was under quarantine for about a month. The quarantine ended around October the 30th. I believe the people could go back. There was basically about a month quarantine, and the people could go back to their normal lives as best as possible. And there was a lot of celebration that went on. A funny story that my father recounted uh, to me. He was born uh, on July 30th, 1919, uh, which was exactly nine months to the day that the quarantine ended in Philadelphia by the authorities. He just thought that was unusual. Maybe that was part of the celebration. He doesn't know. Maybe it was a coincidence. Uh, he's not quite sure. Nobody knows exactly how many people got sick from the pandemic in Philadelphia. Numbers are as low as 150,000. They go up to 300,000. Many people uh, had long-lasting complications. It's believed that the initial six-week period, about 13,000 people died, and it's believed that uh, during the entire first, second, and third stages, upwards of perhaps 20,000 people died in Philadelphia uh, in uh, 1918 into 1919. Philadelphia waited too long to uh, quarantine. New York, for example, and other cities quarantined earlier. 
Certainly the degree of corruption had something to do with this. And the fact that they held that parade where the uh, health commissioner, who should have known better, who was a gynecologist, who had no experience in uh, public health, should have taken action and canceled the parade because that made things uh, terribly worse. In any case, during the next election in Philadelphia, the Vare brothers were replaced by progressives who wanted to bring about changes in the city, bring it uh, up into the modern period and uh, do away with corruption. But the election after that, the Vare brothers were brought back along with Dr. Krusen. <laughs> this is hard to believe. And in fact, uh, William Vare was elected to the United States Senate from Pennsylvania. He was considered so corrupt that the, the Senate refused to swear him in. Pennsylvania lacks a senator during this period of time uh, because of the high degree of corruption. The significance of the, the influenza, the Spanish flu, it spread so rapidly. Even the bubonic plague, even other pandemics we have, haven't been as so rapid and so deadly. You know, in a 15-month period estimated between 50 and 100 million people died worldwide. And we only had a billion people. So we're talking about anywhere from, from 5 to 10% of the Earth's population died from the Spanish flu. In the United States, there were reported 675,000 deaths from the Spanish flu. That's somewhere around the number we have for COVID right now. But of course... Now we have three times as many people, and it's estimated that the Spanish flu came today. We would be talking about two to three million people uh, dying from the Spanish Who knows? Maybe even more. It, these are just estimates. As I mentioned before, the country being at war, I've been told that it got so bad on the front lines in the Western Front that they stopped fighting because too many people got sick and too many died fighting in the trenches. It's believed vast numbers died from the Spanish flu rather than from uh, military action. It's also believed that at the Paris Peace Conference, after the war ended, that President Wilson uh, may have also got sick from the Spanish flu. To my knowledge, I don't believe at the height of the pandemic in the United States, President Wilson ever made a comment. I don't believe he ever made a comment about the Spanish flu taking place. He was only concerned about uh, our war effort. Uh, the disease was kind of ignored. In the past, people had more, much more of a lackadaisical attitude towards disease. There weren't many treatments for disease. Public health wasn't very good. People lived. People got sick. People died. At the turn of the century, at the year 1900, average life expectancy in the United States was only 49 years of age whereas today it's, I believe, 78. That's something to consider. There was a lot of fear that was created, and this, this was a historic pandemic because it killed so many people so quickly, and in some places not that many people died, but in other, other places uh, in the world there was a significant number uh, of people who died. It's believed, as I mentioned before, something like 50% of women who were pregnant that got Spanish flu died. Scientists are still investigating the fact that people in the age category of 20 or 40 were the most vulnerable. As we mentioned before, with COVID, we know who's vulnerable. We can uh, prevent and we can treat them. So we can learn something from, at this point, from the bubonic plague, and from the Spanish flu, we can have a perspective. These pandemics become endemic. The bubonic plague became endemic. It stayed around. It's still around. There are outbreaks 
as I mentioned before, in Madagascar, in India, in the four corners of the western United States. Influenza has not gone away. It occurs every year, a different mutation. Influenza is endemic. question is, with COVID, will it go away or will it become endemic? Are we going to have to learn to live with COVID? Is it going to mutate to the extent that every year we have to come up with a different virus or is it uh, going to go away? The good news is it's two cousins, MERS and SARS, both disappeared. Uh, they ran their course and disappeared. One more thing about COVID, there's been no evidence up to this point that the COVID is naturally occurring. In other words, that it transferred from an animal to a human being. Uh, they're still looking. I guess if they look hard enough, maybe they'll find it. Signing off, back to rest the legend. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Conversations with Dr. S. Thank you to our sponsor, Classic Coco. Contact Dr. S through his email, drsthelegend at gmail.com. If you get the chance this week, please leave us a five-star review anywhere you listen to your podcasts.